0: section 10 of the rivals of sherlock holmes volume 2 this is a librivox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the rivals of sherlock holmes volume 2 the moabite cipher by r austin freeman part 2 he leapt down onto the line Whither I followed instantly, and crossing the rails, we clambered up together onto the footboard opposite an empty first-class compartment. Thorndike's magazine knife, containing, among other implements, a railway key, was already in his hand. The door was speedily unlocked, and as we entered, Thorndike ran through and looked out onto the platform. Just in time, he exclaimed. He is in one of the forward compartments. He relocked the door and seating himself proceeded to fill his pipe. And now, said I, as the train moved out of the station, perhaps you will explain this little comedy? With pleasure, he replied. If it needs any explanation? But you can hardly have forgotten Mr. James's flattering remarks in his report of the Greek street incident clearly giving the impression that the mysterious document was in my possession. When I read that, I knew I must look out for some attempt to recover it, though I hardly expected such promptness. Still, when Mr. Barton called without credentials or appointment, I viewed him with some suspicion. That suspicion deepened when he wanted us both to come. It deepened further when I found an impossible quantity of arsenic in his sample. And it gave place to certainty when, having allowed him to select the trains by which we were to travel, I went up to the laboratory and examined the time table. For I then found that the last train for London left Rexford ten minutes after we were due to arrive. Obviously, this was a plan to get us both safely out of the way while he and some of his friends ransacked our chambers for the missing document. I see. And that accounts for his extraordinary anxiety at the lateness of the train. But why did you come if you knew it was a plant? My dear fellow, said Thorndyke, I never miss an interesting experience if I can help it. There are possibilities in this too, don't you see? But supposing his friends have broken into our chambers already? that contingency has been provided for but i think they will wait for mr barton and us our train being the last one up stopped at every station and crawled slothfully in the intervals so that it was past eleven o'clock when we reached liverpool street here we got out cautiously and mingling with the crowd followed the unconscious barton up the platform through the barrier and out into the street. He seemed in no special hurry, for after pausing to light a cigar, he set off at an easy pace up New Broad Street. Thorndyke hailed a hansom, and motioning me to enter, directed the cabman to drive to Clifford's Inn Passage. Sit well back, said he, as we rattled away up New Broad Street. We shall be passing our gay deceiver presently. In fact, there he is, a living, walking illustration of the folly of underrating the intelligence of one's adversary. At Clifford Inn Passage, we dismissed the cab, and retiring into the shadow of the dark, narrow alley, kept an eye on the gate of Inner Temple Lane. In about twenty minutes, we observed our friend approaching on the south side of Fleet Street. He halted at the gate, plied the knocker, and after a brief parley with the night-porter vanished through the wicket we waited yet five minutes more and then having given him time to get clear of the entrance we crossed the road the porter looked at us with some surprise there's a gentleman gone down to your chambers sir said he he told me you were expecting him quite right said thorndyke with a dry smile i was good-night we slunk down the lane past the church and through the gloomy cloisters giving a wide berth to all lamps and lighted entries until emerging into paper buildings we crossed at the darkest part to king's bench walk where thorndyke made straight for the chambers of our friend anstey which were two doors above our own why are we coming here i asked as we ascended the stairs but the question needed no answer when we reached the landing, for through the open door of our friend's chambers I could see in the darkened room Anstey himself with two uniformed constables and a couple of plain-clothes men. "'There's been no signal yet, sir,' said one of the latter, whom I recognised as a detective sergeant of our division. "'No,' said Thorndyke. "'But the M.C. has arrived.' He came in five minutes before us. Then exclaimed Anstey, the ball will open shortly, ladies and gents. The boards are waxed, the fiddlers are tuning up, Ben not quite so loud, if you please, sir, said the sergeant. I think there's somebody coming up Crown Office Row. The ball had, in fact, opened. As we peered cautiously out of the open window, keeping well back in the darkened room, a stealthy figure. Crept out of the shadow, crossed the road, and stole noiselessly into the entry of Thorndyke's chambers. It was quickly followed by a second figure, and then by a third, in which I recognised as our elusive client. Now listen for the signal, said Thorndyke. They won't waste time. Confound that clock! The soft-voiced bell of the inner temple clock mingling with the harsher tones of St. Dunstan's and the law courts, slowly tolled out the hour of midnight, and as the last reverberations were dying away, some metallic object, apparently a coin, dropped with a sharp clink onto the pavement under our window. At the sound, the watchers simultaneously sprang to their feet. "'You two go first, said the sergeant, addressing the uniformed men who thereupon stole noiselessly in their rubber-soled boots down the stone stairs and along the pavement the rest of us followed with less attention to silence and as we ran up to thorndyke's chambers we were aware of quick but stealthy footsteps on the stairs above they've been at work you see whispered one of the constables flashing his lantern on to the iron-bound outer door of our sitting-room On which the marks of a large jemmy were plainly visible. The sergeant nodded grimly and bidding the constables to remain on the landing led the way upwards. As we ascended, faint rustlings continued to be audible from above, and on the second-floor landing we met a man descending briskly but without hurry from the third. It was Mr. Barton, and I could not but admire the composure with which he passed the two detectives but suddenly his glance fell on Thorndyke, and his composure vanished with a wild stare of incredulous horror he halted as if petrified then he broke away and raced furiously down the stairs and a moment later a muffled shout and the sound of a scuffle told us that he had received a check on the next flight we met two more men who more hurried and less self-possessed endeavoured to push past but the sergeant barred the way. Why, oh, bless me, exclaimed the latter. It's Moaki, and isn't that Tom Tomaris? It's all right, sergeant, said Moaki plaintively, striving to escape from the officer's grip. We've come to the wrong house, that's all. The sergeant smiled indulgently. I know, he replied, but you're always coming to the wrong house, Moaki and now you're just coming along with me to the right house he slipped his hand inside his captive's coat and adroitly fished out a large folding jemmy whereupon the discomfited burglar abandoned all further protest on our return to the first floor we found mr barton sulkily awaiting us handcuffed to one of the constables and watched by polton with pensive disapproval I don't need to trouble you to-night, doctor, said the sergeant as he marshalled his little troop of captors and captives. You'll hear her from us in the morning. Good night, sir. The melancholy procession moved off down the stairs, and we retired into our chambers with Anstey to smoke a last pipe. A capable man, that Barton observed Thorndyke, ready, plausible, and ingenious. "'but spoilt by prolonged contact with fools. "'I wonder if the police will perceive the significance of this little affair.' "'They will be more acute than I am if they do,' said I. "'Naturally,' interposed Anstey, who loved to cheek his revered senior. "'Because there isn't any. It's only Thorndyke's bouts. "'He is really in a deuce of a fog himself.' "'However this may have been.' the police were a good deal puzzled by the incident for on the following morning we received a visit from no less a person than superintendent miller of scotland yard this is a queer business said he coming to the point at once this burglary i mean why should they want to crack your place right here in the temple too you've got nothing of value here have you no hard stuff as they call it for instance not so much as a silver teaspoon said thorndyke who had a conscientious objection to plate of all kinds it's odd said the superintendent just odd when we got your note we thought these anarchist idiots had mixed you up with the case you saw the papers i suppose and wanted to go through your rooms for some reason we thought we had our hands on the gang instead of which we find a party of common crooks that we're sick of the sight of I tell you, it's annoying when you think you've hooked a salmon to bring up Blooming Eel. Yeah, it must be a great disappointment, Thorndyke agreed, suppressing a smile. It is, said the detective. Not but what we're glad enough to get these beggars, especially Holkett, or Barton, as he calls himself. A mighty slippery customer is Holkett, and mischievous, too. But we're not wanting any disappointments just now. There was that big jewel job in Piccadilly, Taplin and Horns. I don't mind telling you that we've got not the ghost of a clue. Then there's this anarchist affair. We're all in the dark, too. But what about the cipher? asked Thorndyke. Oh, hang the cipher! exclaimed the detective irritably. This Professor Popplebaum may be a very learned man, but it doesn't help us much. He says the document is in Hebrew and he has translated it into double dutch just listen to this he dragged out of his pocket a bundle of papers and dabbing down a photograph of the document before thorndyke commenced to read the professor's report the document is written in the characters of the well-known inscription of mesha king of moab who the devil's he never heard of him well known indeed the language is hebrew and the words are separated by groups of letters, which are meaningless and obviously introduced to mislead and confuse the reader. The words themselves are not strictly consecutive, but by the interpolation of certain other words, a series of intelligible sentences is obtained, the meaning of which is not very clear, but is no doubt allegorical. The method of decipherment is shown in the accompanying tables and the full rendering suggested on the enclosed sheet. It is to be noted that the writer of this document was apparently quite unacquainted with the Hebrew language, as appears from the absence of any grammatical construction. That's the professor's report, Doctor, and here are the tables showing how he worked it out. Makes my head spin to look at em. He handed to Thorndyke a bundle of ruled sheets, which my colleague examined attentively for a while and then passed on to me this is very systematic and thorough said he but uh, now let us see the final result at which he arrives it may all be very systematic growled the superintendent sorting out his papers but i tell you sir it's all bosh the latter word he jerked out viciously as he slapped down on the table the final product of the professor's labours there he continued that's what he calls the full rendering and i reckon it'll make your hair curl it might be a message from bedlam thorndyke took up the first sheet and he compared the constructed renderings with the literal translation the ghost of a smile stole across his usually immovable countenance the meaning is certainly a little obscure he observed, though the reconstruction is highly ingenious, and, moreover, I think the professor is probably right. That is to say, the words which he has supplied are probably the omitted parts of the passages from which the words of the cryptogram were taken. What do you think, Travis? He handed me the two papers, of which one gave the actual words of the cryptogram, and the other a suggested reconstruction, with omitted words supplied. The first read, Woe, City, Lies, Robbery, Prey, Noise, Whip, Rattling, Wheel, Horse, Chariot, Day, Darkness, Gloominess, Cloud, Darkness, Morning, Mountain, People, Strong, Fire, Them, Flay. Turning to the second paper, I read out the suggested rendering. Woe to the bloody city, it is full of lies and robbery, the prey departeth not, the noise of a whip, and the noise of the rattling of the wheels, and of the prancing horses, and of the jumping chariots. A a day of darkness, and of gloominess, a day of clouds, and of thick darkness, as the morning's Bread upon the mountains are great people and are strong a fire devoureth before them and behind them a flame burneth here the first sheet ended and as i laid it down thorndyke looked at me inquiringly there's a good deal of reconstruction in proportion to the original matter i objected the Professor has supplied more than three-quarters of the final rendering, exactly burst in the Superintendent. It's all Professor, no cryptogram, still, I think the reading is correct, said Thorndyke, as far as it goes, that is Good Lord! exclaimed the dismayed detective. Do you mean to tell me, sir? So? "'that that bold dash is the real meaning of a thing?' "'I don't say that,' replied Thorndyke. "'I say it is correct as far as it goes, "'but I doubt it being the solution of the cryptogram.' "'Have you been studying that photograph that I gave you?' "'demanded Miller with a sudden eagerness. "'I have looked at it.' said thorndyke evasively but i should like to examine the original if you have it with you i have said the detective professor boppelbaum sent it back with the solution you can have a look at it i can't leave it with you without special authority he drew the document from his pocket-book and handed it to thorndyke who took it over to the window and scrutinised it closely From the window, he drifted into the adjacent office, closing the door after him, and presently the sound of a faint explosion told me that he had lighted the gas fire. of course, said Miller, taking up the translation again. This gibberish is the sort of stuff you might expect from a parcel of crack-brained anarchists, but it doesn't seem to mean anything. Not to us! I agreed, but the phrases may have some prearranged significance. And then there are the letters between the words. It is possible that they may really form a cipher. I suggested that to the professor, said Miller, but he wouldn't hear of it. He is sure they are only dummies. I think he is probably mistaken, and so I fancy does my colleague. But we shall hear what he has to say presently. Oh I know what he'll say, growled Miller. He will put the thing under the microscope and tell us who made the paper, what the ink's composed of, and then we shall just be where we were. The superintendent was evidently deeply depressed. We sat for some time, pondering in silence on the vague sentences of the professor's translation, until at length Thorndyke reappeared, holding the document in his hand. He laid it quietly on the table by the officer, and then inquired, Is this an official consultation? Certainly, replied Miller. I was authorized to consult you, respecting the translation. But nothing was said about the original. Still, if you want it for further study, I will get it for you. No, thank you, said Thorndyke. I, I have finished with it. My theory turned out to be correct. Your theory? exclaimed the superintendent eagerly. Do you mean to say, and as you are consulting me officially, I may as well give you this? He held out a sheet of paper, which the detective took from him and began to read. What is this? he asked, looking up at Thorndyke with a puzzled frown. Where did it come from? It's the solution of the cryptogram, replied Thorndyke. The detective re-read the contents of the paper, and with the frown of perplexity deepening, once more gazed at my colleague. "'This is a joke, sir. You are fooling me,' he said sulkily. "'Nothing of the kind,' answered Thorndyke. "'That is the genuine solution.' "'But it's impossible!' exclaimed Miller. "'Just look at it, Dr. Jervis!' I took the paper from his hand, and as I glanced at it, I had no difficulty in understanding his surprise. It bore a short inscription in printed Roman capitals thus, The Piccadilly stuff is up the Chimbley, 416 Wardour Street, and second floor back it was hid because of old Malky's Jude Mulkey is a blighter. Then that fellow wasn't an anarchist at all i exclaimed no said miller he was one of mawaki's gang we suspected mawaki of being mixed up with that job but we couldn't fix it on him by Jove," he added slapping his thigh if this is right i can lay my hands on the loot can you lend me a bag doctor i'm off to Wardour street this very moment we furnished him with an empty suitcase and from the window watched him making for Mitre Court at a smart double. I wonder if he will find the booty, said Thorndyke. It just depends on whether the hiding place was known to more than one of the gang. Well, it has been a quaint case and instructive, too. I suspect our friend Barton and the evasive Schoenberg were the collaborators who produced that curiosity of literature. May I ask how you deciphered the thing? i said it didn't appear to take long it didn't it was merely a matter of testing a hypothesis and you ought not to have to ask that question he added with mock severity seeing that you had what turned out to have been all the necessary facts two days ago but i will prepare a document and demonstrate to you tomorrow morning so miller was successful in his quest said thorndyke as we smoked our morning pipes after breakfast the entire swag as he calls it was up the chimbley undisturbed he handed me a note which had been left with the empty suitcase by a messenger shortly before and i was about to read it when an agitated knock was heard at our door the visitor whom i admitted was a rather haggard and dishevelled elderly gentleman who as he entered peered inquisitively through his concave spectacles from one of us to the other allow me to introduce myself gentlemen he said i am professor bogerbom thorndyke bowed and offered a chair i called yesterday afternoon our visitor continued at scotland yard where i heard of your remarkable decipherment of the convincing proof of its correctness thereupon i borrowed the cryptogram and have spent the entire night in studying it but i cannot connect your solution with any of the characters i wonder if you would do me the great favour of enlightening me as to your method of decipherment and so save me further sleepless nights you may rely on my discretion have you the document with you asked thorndyke the professor produced it from his pocket-book and passed it to my colleague you observe professor said the latter that this is a laid paper and has no watermark yes i noticed that and that the writing is indelible chinese ink yes yes said the savant impatiently but it is the inscription that interests me not the paper and ink "'Precisely,' said Thorndyke. "'Now, it was the ink that interested me "'when I caught a glimpse of the document three days ago. "'Why?' I asked myself. "'Should anyone use this troublesome medium? "'For this appears to be stick ink "'when good writing ink is to be had. "'What advantages has Chinese ink over writing ink? "'It has several advantages as a drawing ink. "'But for writing purposes, it has only one it is quite unaffected by wet. The obvious inference, then, was that this document was, for some reason, likely to be exposed to wet. But this inference instantly suggested another, which I was yesterday able to put to the test thus. He filled a tumbler with water, and rolling up the document, dropped it in. Immediately there began to appear on it a new set of characters of a curious grey colour. In a few seconds, Thorndike lifted out the wet paper and held it up to the light. And now there was plainly visible an inscription in transparent lettering, like a very distinct watermark. It was printed Roman capitals and written across the other writing and read, The Piccadilly stuff is up the chimney, four sixteen water street second floor back it was hid because of old moaki's jude moakey is a blighter the professor regarded the inscription with profound disfavor how do you suppose this was done he asked gloomily i'll show you said thorndyke i have prepared a piece of paper to demonstrate the process to dr jervis It is exceedingly simple. He fetched from the office a small plate of glass and a photographic dish in which a piece of thin note paper was soaking in water. This paper, said Thorndyke, lifting it out and laying it on the glass, has been soaking all night and is now quite pulpy. He spread a dry sheet of paper over the wet one, and on the former wrote heavily with a hard pencil. Moaki is a blighter. On lifting the upper sheet, the writing was seen to be transferred in a deep grey to the wet paper, and when the latter was held up to the light, the inscription stood out clear and transparent, as if written with oil. When this dries, said Thorndyke, "'the writing will completely disappear, "'but it will reappear whenever the paper is again wetted.' "'The professor nodded. "'Very ingenious,' said he. "'A sort of artificial palimpsest, in fact. "'But I do not understand how that illiterate man "'could have written in the difficult, morbid script.' "'He did not.' Said Thorndyke. The cryptogram was probably written by one of the leaders of the gang, who, no doubt, supplied copies to the other members to use instead of blank paper for secret communications. The object of the Moabite writing was evidently to divert attention from the paper itself, in case the communication fell into the wrong hands, and I must say it seems to have answered its purpose very well. The professor started, stung by the sudden recollection of his labours. Oh, yes, he snorted, but I am a scholar, sir, not a policeman. Every man to his trade. He snatched up his hat and with a curt, good morning, flung out of the room in dudgeon. Thorndyke laughed softly. Poor professor, he murmured. Our playful friend Barton has much to answer for End of the Moabite Cipher Recording by Maria Brook New Zealand